You're listening to sermon audio from River City Church in Fargo, North Dakota. River City Church exists to make disciples of Jesus who make disciples of Jesus through the gospel of Jesus. You can find out more about River City by visiting our website at www.rivercityfargo.org. Amen. Let's pray. Father, you are great and glorious in who you are and all that you've done for us. And we confess we're coming to you very needy this morning with our desires and our wishes and our thoughts going away from you, Lord. So center us today on your word by your spirit who points us to your son. May we see him this morning as we study the Psalms. May we be encouraged, may we be built up, and may you help us to sing of who you are and all that you've done for us that we don't deserve, but all that displays your sovereign power over your church, over the nations, and over the universe, Lord. So be with us here now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Well, good morning again and welcome. My name is Charlie Hogshead. I'm one of the elders here at River City, and we are going to continue our series this summer going through the Psalms, and we're going to be in Psalm 47 this morning, Psalm 47. So if you want to follow along, you can turn there now. If you need a copy of God's Word, raise your hand. We will get you one, and we'll be on page 269 in the Bibles that are being handed out right now. And as you turn there, could I get a volunteer, please? Just for a moment, nothing crazy. I'm not going to ask you anything difficult, but if I could get a volunteer, anybody? Right there. So Jamie was like pointing at her husband, Kev Karsten. We'll have you, Clark. Go ahead. You're more willing, apparently. Uh, we're going to put some lyrics up on the screen. There we go. Can you read those from there? Might have to come up close. <laughs> I think it's font size 42. I probably could have gotten bigger than that. But when you are, when you're ready, would you mind just reading those lyrics? You don't have to sing them. Why don't you just read those? Okay, great. Do it again, this time softer. Thank you. You're released. Appreciate that. That wasn't so bad. Can you guys hear him in the back? Kinda? Okay. Kinda. All right, well, we live in a world that is very noisy. And that is some amazing news that we just heard. That's some awesome truth about what our Lord God has done for us in Christ. But because of so many different things, that truth, that news gets drowned out by a ton of other things. We are people that are marked by our desire for praise. I want people to sing my praises. And at the same time, too, I'm often singing the praises of other things that don't necessarily deserve it. And so we are worshipers at the core of our being, but oftentimes we end up worshiping things that are not worth it or not as valuable as we might think. And then as the people of God, those who love the truth of God's word, who want to be in the community and loving the community, we live in a time where the good news of the gospel is openly rejected, where the people of God are shouted down in this noisy, noisy place. And so there's a lot going on as we seek to be those who proclaim the glories of our God in Christ Jesus. And so as we study Psalm 47 this morning, I want you to be thinking about what hinders you from exploding with praise for who our God is and what he has done. 
Could it be your own pursuit of praise? You want people to sing your praises. Or could it be that you're singing the praises of something else or someone else? Or maybe there might be some fear of people actually hearing you, hearing what you believe, seeing how you live that out, and bringing about persecution. So when we fail to see how awesome our God is and all that he's done for us in Christ, things that we do not deserve, then we're going to keep our voices down and our praise is going to be drowned out by all the noise. So let's see what God has for us in Psalm 47 as we consider these things. Psalm 47, to the choir master, the psalm of the sons of Korah. Clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. For the Lord, the Most High, is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. He subdued peoples under us and nations under our feet. He chose our heritage for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loves. Selah. God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises to our king, sing praises. For God is the king of all the earth. Sing praises with a psalm. God reigns over the nation, nations. God sits on his holy throne. The princes of the peoples gather as the people of the God of Abraham. For the shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted. So the first thing we see here in this psalm is that it is written to the choir master, and it is a psalm of the sons of Korah. And so the sons of Korah, they're basically the house band uh, for the house of God. They were appointed by King David in uh, 1 Chronicles 6 to be in the service of song in the house of the Lord after the ark rested there. And now the ark, that's a part of the passage we read this morning in our scripture reading. The ark was an amazing, ornate, gold-covered box that symbolized the power and the presence and the rule of God amongst his people. And so as that ark came into Jerusalem, David said, sons of Korah, you guys are going to be our musicians and you're going to write the soundtrack of Israel, basically, as we worship together. So that's what they were brought about to do. And so many of the psalms we've studied already this summer were written by the sons of Korah, including Psalm 46 that Marty preached on last week. And in Psalm 46, we saw in verse 10, be still and know that I am God. That's the exhortation. Psalm 47 is a little bit different from that. This is a banger. This one is meant to get the people on their feet, to get their hands clapping, to, to bring about an explosion of joy because our God is awesome. That's what I think the first five verses are pointing us to this morning. We shout with joy, we explode with praise because our God is awesome. And so Psalm 47, this song rocks. This is trying to get the people excited about who their God is. And so verse one, clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. And what I really appreciate about this, this first commandment as we get into the psalm is that there's a lot of physicality in this command and this imperative for the people of God. We're using our hands, we're filling up our lungs with extra air, and we're bringing them out even louder than we're normally used to, and we're shouting loud songs of joy to our God. The joy that we have because of who we are in Christ and what our God has done for us is not something that we should see whispered, but rather the psalmist here, the sons of Korah, they're telling us, really express that. This is something that should flow out of us with power and with intensity 
and with joy because of who our God is. So this is a command that's given, but why does this command make sense? Where does the strength and the power to praise in such a way, where does that come from? We see that in verse 2. The Lord, the Most High, he is to be feared because he is a great king over all the earth. And so what we're getting at here is our God, he is sovereignly awesome. And so the Lord here, Yahweh, the great I am, is what we're looking at. He is the most high. There is no one in all of the universe who outranks him, who has more authority than our God. And because of that, he is to be feared. And so the, the idea behind fearing God is to be in awe, to be awestruck at how majestic and glorious and powerful this God is. He is indeed the great king. He's the, the I am, the only self-existent, authoritative creator God that no one outranks. And so in that, we should be in awe of him. And so when we say that God is sovereign, what we mean is what God says is right is right. What God says is wrong is wrong. What he says is good uh, is uh, good is good and evil is evil. He defines all of that. He is the sovereign moral authority over all peoples that have ever lived. And not only that, God is sovereign that all that he does is good and right and perfect. He oversees all the nations. He brings them up and he uh, tears them down, all for his purposes and for his glory. And so because of that, the sons of Korah are saying, we should worship God because this is who he is. He is sovereign and he is awesome in all that he does. And he deserves praise for that alone. And there's some of us here like, that's great. That's enough for me. I'm going to get excited about sovereignty. This is totally awesome. But there's some of us here that maybe don't understand it, or even there might be people here that don't actually like it, that don't like the idea that there is someone who has more authority than they do. But God does, and he is the most high. He is the I am, and he is sovereign over all things, and that's good news for us as his people. But if that's you today, if this makes you uncomfortable, if you don't like hearing about a sovereign God who has authority over how you live your life, we're going to see why this is good for us as a church. Israel definitely saw that, why this is good for them. And so we see that in verses 3, 4, and 5. These give us tangible examples of God's sovereign awesomeness in the history of Israel. So verse 3, he subdued peoples under us and nations under our feet. And there's so many passages that we could look to to back this up. But if you were listening to this song, if you were hearing a choir sing this, there, there are many places we could go, but we can look here in going back all the way to Abraham. God chose this guy Abraham, not because Abraham was awesome, but because God chose him to be a, a recipient of blessing. So God said, Abraham, I'm going to choose you. I'm going to multiply you. I'm going to take you out of this land. I'm going to bring you into a promised land flowing with milk and honey. That's what I'm going to do. And so God brought Abraham out of uh, his land. He multiplied them. They grew, and eventually they went into uh, the land of Egypt where they were cared for during a famine. God protected them during that time when there was not much food available. From there, the Egyptians, they didn't really like Israel because Israel kept growing and multiplying like God said they would. And so Egypt actually enslaved the people of Israel. They said, we're in charge now. You work for us. And so they enslaved them for 400 years. But... As they cried out to God for deliverance, God heard them, he knew what they were going through, and God acted in his sovereign awesomeness to bring them out of slavery in Egypt, 
10 plagues that displayed all of God's power over the gods of Egypt. And the people of God literally walked out of, walked out of that place with all their gold and jewelry, just like God said they would. God sovereignly brought them out of slavery and he subdued peoples under them and nations under their feet. But not only that, verse four, he chose their heritage for us, uh, the pride of Jacob whom he loves. And so what the psalmists are getting at here is that the heritage and the pride of Jacob is the land, the promised land that was given to Israel. God said, I'm gonna take you out of slavery. I'm gonna put you here in this place where I'll be there. You'll be flowing with milk and honey. It's gonna be great. You're gonna be safe and secure. And I'm going to take you there. And now Israel, they were quick to doubt. They were quick to rebel. They were quick to sin. And so they wandered in the desert for 40 years. But still, God brought them into the promised land as he said he would. As we look at the end of Joshua, Joshua 21, verses 43 to 45, we see exactly what happened. As he brought them into the promised land, they subdued nations under them as well. And they were planted safely and securely. Joshua 43 to four, uh, 21, 43 to 45. Thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give to their fathers. And they took possession of it, and they settled there. And the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their fathers. Not one of all their enemies had withstood them, for the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. So Israel experienced the sovereign awesomeness of God in subduing the nations and bringing them into a place where they would be blessed and they would be a blessing. But not only that, we see in verse five that God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. And this is what we read in our scripture reading, where the ark of God showing off his power and his presence and his glory, when that came into Jerusalem, that was a party. Like they were extremely joyful because God's presence was among them in the city of David in Jerusalem. This was where the people of God were going to be safe, secure. They were going to be a blessing and be blessed because of the presence of God among them. And so verses three, four, and five, they show us that God has sovereignly brought his people out of slavery into the promised land despite their sin, despite their rebellion, and despite the nations that didn't want that to happen. God fulfilled all of his promises. But again, we live in a noisy world where those truths get drowned out by so many other things, where we are quick to forget them. And so then our voices become quiet. But that's not what the sons of Korah are calling us to here. But our world, our world is very loud. Uh, in 2001, I uh, just graduated from high school, and that July, we went to a Warp Tour in Somerset, Wisconsin. And Warp Tour is basically a one-day punk rock festival with lots of bands, lots of stages. And I went with my high school friends, and I wasn't necessarily into that music too much at that point. Um, uh, so we were just hanging out, not really listening to anybody in particular. And my, one of my friends came up and said, we need to go to the main stage right now because there's a band playing, and the lead singer is like owning the stage. Like, he is amazing. Let's go check him out. So we did. We walk over to the main stage, uh, and it was a band called AFI, and the lead singer, his name is Davey Havoc, which is a really good punk rock name when you think about it. And Davey Havoc, uh, this was mid-July 2001. It was really hot, dusty, um, and he was wearing leather pants and boots, and like, oh, that must have been miserable. But as he was singing, everybody was singing along. Everybody knew the words. 
And when he said, put your hands in the air, they put their hands in the air. When he said, clap, they clapped. When he said, get in a circle pit, they started running around like crazy and running into each other. Like he had authority and power over that crowd of people and they could not wait to respond to that. They could not wait to respond in praise and glory for who this band was and what they were talking about. Or even today, you think about Taylor Swift and the concerts that she's putting on. These are like crazy. She just gave $55 million in bonuses to her crew. Crazy. We live in a world that loves to worship, but they're worshiping something else besides the living God. They are really, really good at it. And it gets noisy, because I promise you, Taylor Swift and AFI, they are not singing about the goodness and the glory of our God. They're singing about a lot of other different things. So this is a noisy world filled with praise of so many different things, and we're complicit in that. We give our praise to lesser things all day, every day, and we want people to sing our praises too. It gets noisy. So what's going to cut through all of that? What hinders you from exploding with songs of joy to our God? The good news is that all those things that Israel experienced in terms of God's sovereign awesomeness, we have also experienced in Christ. Our Lord is sovereignly awesome. Our Father, he chose us, not because of anything about us that was so awesome, but because he wanted to display his mercy and grace and his kindness to people that don't deserve it. He is gracious, and so we are recipients of that grace. And to make this all work, he sent his son to live the perfect life that we could not live. He worshiped his father perfectly every single second of his life. When you think about that, that's crazy. There's not one false moment of worship of anything lesser than his father. He's our righteousness. And he died for us. He died for all of our idolatry, all of our false worship. And then he rose again to give us new hearts that actually have new desires to worship what's good and right and true. And just like the ark of God was coming into Jerusalem, that was a big deal, we have the Holy Spirit who indwells us, who lives in us. God is living in us by his spirit all day, every day, because he is faithful to his church and because he is sovereignly awesome. All the same things that Israel saw in terms of God's sovereign awesomeness, we see in Christ. And we see that as well in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is. That's where he's at. He is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And so in God's sovereign awesomeness, he has made us alive. Jesus sits victoriously at the right hand of God. And so we focus on him. That's how we cut through the noise of this world, as we focus our hearts, attentions, and affections upon our sovereignly awesome Savior, Jesus Christ. As we think about that, is there anything greater or anything more deserving of praise than our God for what he's done for us? What he's given us can never be taken away. And it's given to us in full by faith, being made righteous, being made holy, being made new. And so because of that, I think with the sons of Korah, we can say, yes, we should clap our hands. We should start shouting because of who our God is and what he's done for us. Our Lord Jesus is sovereignly awesome. And we've seen that in how he's brought us from death to life. But as we know, this is a noisy world. 
Let's look at the second part of this psalm, verses six through nine, and consider what God is doing currently. He has acted sovereignly. He has saved us. But now what is he doing right now? Even amidst the noise of this world, even amidst all the the desires that we have for praise, all the praise that we give, there's also that fear that as we are exposed for who we are, as we proclaim the glories and the excellencies of Christ, that there's going to be struggle. That there are people in this world who stand against these things that do not agree with us, who do not worship God as we do. And so how do we deal with that? Look at verse 6 and 7. Here, the sons of Korah, they tell us we are to sing praises to God. We're to sing praises to our king. And in those two verses, there's one, two, three, four, five exhortations to sing praises. So why, why that? We're supposed to sing praises with a psalm. In verse 1, loud songs of joy. So why these things? Why songs? And then more specifically, why psalms? How do they help us as we live in this world that's opposed to who we are and what we believe as well as our God? Well, songs are awesome. I love music. They're creative. It's almost a, a, a participation in creating something out of nothing. That's what our God did. He created something out of nothing. And when I'm sitting in my basement with my guitar, there's no sound, and then I hit those strings, and it gets really loud really fast. I get to create something out of nothing. I get to participate in our God who is, uh, with our God who is creative. Uh, songs are also unifying. We sing the same words at the same tempo, and sometimes we sing them in the same key. In this world, that's not a luxury we always have. There are melodies and there are harmonies and there are things that unite us together as we sing true truths about God. And that's what makes psalms so amazing. So songs are one thing, and our world is, yeah, they get songs. They do that. But what sets psalms apart is that they are authoritative truths about who our God is. We're not singing empty words. We're not just making this up, but we're singing true things about our God who is the sovereign authority over all things. And because he's the sovereign authority, we don't just sing emptiness about who he is, but rather we reflect back to him his mercies and his glories and his character and his nature in what we sing. And so psalms are an amazing way for us to praise our God. They're a language, they're a soundtrack for us to use as we live life in a noisy world. Rather than praising ourselves or rather giving praise to lesser things, they give us a voice that actually helps us to praise God for who he is. And so this psalm was written to the choir master. So this was meant to be sung well. It's meant to be sung by people who are practiced, they're united, they know their parts, and with the intent of getting the people of God all riled up, getting them excited about who they are in Christ. And so the choir is telling us to be unified in our expression of praise of God, to be singing true truths about who he is. But the bigger picture that we can see now, this side of the cross, is that our God is building a choir. Might not have known this, but River City has a choir, and it's all of us. God is building a group of people who are unified in singing true truths about our glorious God. The earth is the stage, and his people, they are the singers, and we sing about the truths that define our God, that define us as his people. 
And together we, we express ourselves loudly, we shout, we sing loud songs of joy to our God. But again, just like the first section, the psalms, uh, psalmists, the sons of Korah, they give us a couple of really good reasons to do this. It's really easy for me to say, we should sing loudly. We should sing true truths. But verses 8 and 9, they give us some really good reasons for that, and they show us what God is actually doing as we do it. And so verses 8 to 9, here we see God reigns, God sits, and the peoples gather. God reigns, God sits, and the peoples gather. And so first, God reigns over the nations. So we are the kind of people that are defined by boundaries and borders all day, every day. I have my personal space, and I prefer it if I maintain that. Don't get too close. I've got boundaries. But then, I also have a house. We live in South Fargo. Uh, I have a property line, and my neighbor mows right up to his property line, and I mow right up to my property line. When I set up my sprinkler to water the yard, my sprinkler does not go into his yard. It goes right up to the edge of mine because that's my grass and my water. If he wants to take care of his yard, that's his business. Actually, my, uh, my neighbor to the north of us, uh, he, he comes, uh, busts up to our backyard. Um, he is building a two-story barn right up against our fence. And so our, neighbor, our, our backyard's not super big. We have a fire pit back there, and it's going to be overlooking our fire pit, and apparently there's going to be a window there that's like looking right down on our fire pit. And so, I don't know if I like that. Uh, we talked to his wife, and she said, yeah, all the plans are just in his head. I'm like, okay, that gives me some pause here. Um, so I did what I was supposed to do. I pulled his permits, and I started to see, like, what is he actually trying to do here? So you can go online. You can search for permits. I didn't find any. So I called the city, and they said, uh, yeah, we just inspected it today. We had his, the plans back in uh, a couple months ago. Everything looks good. Um, we inspected it. He's going to go forward with this barn. So there's nothing I can do about it. He's going to build a barn that's going to overlook our fire pit. So if you ever come over for a fire pit, you might see my neighbor just sitting there watching us. <laughs> and there's nothing I can do about it. Nothing, except tell you about it and complain. But beyond that, beyond my own property issues, I live in South Fargo. I live in the city of Fargo. Um, I was uh, at a restaurant downtown a couple weeks ago, and Mayor Mahoney showed up, like, hey, it's the mayor. I also live in the state of North Dakota. I was at a funeral a few months ago, and there the governor was standing a few feet away. Governor Burgum. Cool. Live in the United States of America. I also live in North America. I live in the Western Hemisphere as well as the Northern Hemisphere. I am a citizen of the solar system. I also live in the Milky Way. We are defined by borders and boundaries all day, every day, and they impact how we live uh, very directly sometimes. But here we see when we, we read that God reigns over the nations, God is not held back by these boundaries. Our God is bigger than all of them. There's not one place in all the universe where somebody can say, this is where your authority stops and where mine begins. Nowhere. Because our God rules over the nations. He is the creator of all things, and he reigns. We also see in verse 8 that he sits on his holy throne. What he says is right is right, what's good is good. And he sat down. Like these things are determined. He's not out there fighting, he's sat down in victory and now he judges the nations in his holiness. No one's going to unseat him, no one's going to overtake him. Our God reigns, our God sits, and the, the princes of the peoples gather as the people of the God of Abraham. Now, this is kind of confusing 
But basically what we're getting at here is the rulers of the world, even they will submit themselves to our God as the one true king. They will see Jesus Christ as authoritative and sovereign and awesome. And they will have no choice but to say yes. They will have to bend the knee to the Lord Jesus. But what's good about that is that the verbiage here, people of the God of Abraham, that's covenantal language. Like if you put your faith in Christ, going all the way back to Abraham, whom God chose and said, I'm going to bless you and multiply you and I'm going to plant you in this place. You're going to be blessed and be a blessing. Those promises are now for us as we put our faith in Christ Jesus. And so we know that there are princes of the peoples that are going to become part of the people of God, that there are going to be people coming out of the nations just like us that have put their faith in Christ Jesus. We saw that there is a much greater authority than anybody in this world. And when we saw that, we had no choice but to fall down and say, forgive me, have mercy on me, a sinner. And we found that in the king himself who lived for us and died for us and rose again. The shields of the earth, that's basically many commentators believe referring back to these princes. The shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted. So all these earthly rulers, even they belong to God. Even they do not outrank him. They cannot push him off his throne, but he reigns and he is seated. And so that's good news for us. As we think about that a little bit, we see that this God who rules and reigns over all things to whom princes of the peoples will gather and become people of the God of Abraham, our God is building a choir. He is building a people that will sing his praises, both now and in the time to come. So, Clark, can I have you stand up again? You want to stand up again? Can I get a couple more volunteers? Maybe from these sections, yeah, James? One more? All right, all right, go ahead. Go ahead, Brad. All right, Sam. All right. Go to the next slide. All right. Now, uh, one, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven of us, let's sing these lyrics. Yes, sing them. All right. Oh, praise the one who paid my debt and is this life up from the dead. <laughs> Sound okay, huh? <laughs> you can have a seat. Right now, that's kind of where we're at. We got raspy voices. Uh, I forgot the lyrics at one point. I had to turn on. I forgot what I was singing. Um, but I think that, that uh, is a good indicator of where my heart can be oftentimes. Forgetting these glorious truths that actually should spur on uh, an explosion of joy because of who our Lord Jesus is and what he's done for us. But even though now we sing kind of weakly, there will be a day when that won't be the case. So we look at Revelation 19, verses 6 through 8. There will be a day when the people of God will sing so loudly it's going to be ringing in our ears. But then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. So right now, we live in a noisy world where our praise is drowned out, but there will be a day when all of the universe will hear the people of God shouting to the point where it sounds like many waters 
mighty peals of thunder. So what do we, what do, we do with that? As the people of God, we are being made into this glorious choir. And so I think this psalm with the, the physicality that the sons of Korah are calling us to, clapping of hands, shouting to God with loud songs of joy, singing praises to our king with a psalm. We're called to sing truths about who our God is and to do so expressively and to use the bodies that God has given us to clap our hands, to fill our lungs with air and let that explode out of us because of our thankfulness for who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And so where do you feel that hindrance? And where does the good news of the gospel overcome that for you? Or maybe today, you don't like the idea that God is sovereign king over all things because it butts up against your desire to do what you want, how you want, when you want. And if that's you today, one day you're going to stand before this holy and righteous God and all you'll have is just singing your own praises. And he's gonna, when you do that, he's going to tell you to stop because it's just not good enough. He is holy. He is righteous. He is good and we are not. And so now, while you're here, join us in this choir singing praises to Jesus. Not singing praises for yourself, not just coming to us so we can praise you, but rather join us in the chorus of joy for who Jesus is and what he has done. Trust him, not yourself, and start singing what we'll sing together in here in a few moments. He invites you into that, into his family, into his kingdom because he is gracious and he is merciful. So let's be a people that are marked by glorious truths that stir in our hearts, that are expressed vocally because Jesus Christ is sovereignly awesome. Let's start to drown out all the noise of the world that's in our hearts and let's sing songs of praise because our Lord Jesus has transferred us into his glorious kingdom. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.